0: Let's get started. Uh, Open up to Exodus 20, if you would. Exodus 20. And um, keep a place in Hebrews chapter 4 and John chapter 1. Hebrews 4, John 1, Exodus 20. A lot of fingers you're going to need. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this evening and for your word and for the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and as we take a look at each of these, I pray, Lord, that you would instill in us an understanding of what you desire of your people. And so, Lord, we we thank you that your commandments aren't, aren't burdensome. By your Spirit, you give us the ability to obey. And we can walk away from the things that we have been worshiping to worship the one true God. And Lord, we, we may find ourselves tonight enveloped in uh, the grasp of of a false God or false gods. But Lord, as we take a look at your word, we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. So God, I pray you do that tonight. I pray you'd minister. Holy Spirit, there's no one in this room who can do what I just asked for, but you and you alone. And by the power of your spirit, I pray you do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin with the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. And God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. We took a look at that last week. And then you shall not make for yourselves, here we go, verse 4, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now let's go to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14, drop down if you would. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And now go to Hebrews 4. And verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we're taking a look at two things before we go back to the second commandment. We're taking a look at two things. One is, what is or who is the word according to John 1. Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. Jesus. Do you notice in John 1, it's capitalized, logos, word. So in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, right? Or is God. The word became flesh, dwelt with man, Emmanuel, God with us. So describe to me what Jesus looks like. Oh, he's white, piercing blue eyes, a halo over his head. Olive skin, brown hair. Olive skin, brown hair. Maybe hazel eyes. Maybe hazel eyes. Yes, hazel eyes. <laughs> Tattoos and muscular because he was a carpenter. Not Wavy, hair. Wavy hair. The Bible says that he was, there was nothing attractive about him. He fell out of the ugly tree and hit every stick on the way down, every branch. <laughs> And I didn't make that up that 's the word. there's nothing about his appearance that we'd be drawn to him as a matter of fact, when Judas came into the Garden of Gethsemane to betray him, he had to give him a kiss because no one he, he looked like everyone else. You ever met people like that? They just blend in. The only reason why I don't blend is because I look like Larry Bird, and everyone thinks I'm no I 'm kidding. <laughs> Slightly shorter and a lot less wealthy, smarter, all that stuff, yeah, thanks uh, but here, here is this picture of Jesus. There's nothing in his appearance that would be drawn to him. And, and he was lowly, mild, um, interesting character. And, and just in his appearance, just nothing there. So we, we don't even really, we, we can't even, when I went to the AME church in Los Angeles, uh, it's a black church in Los Angeles, um, the, the depiction of Jesus was black, um, you, you, messianic churches' depiction of Jesus is is Jewish and um, Aryan churches. He's white, blue eyed, and, and this halo over there. That's that's one of the biggest crack ups. It's like, ha, ha, ha. you know, Judas had to betray him. He goes, yeah, it's a guy with a halo. I don't have to kiss him. Just he's right there, thinking, right. So, so we really we don't know what he looks like. Oh, we have the shroud of Turin. well that thing's been. There's been so many specials on that, it's like finding Nessie, Loch Ness. We, we don't know what he looks like, and the and the Bible clearly depicts that. There's nothing about him that we'd be drawn to him. He is just he can't even pick him out of a crowd for the most part. Yet the Bible declares that the Word became flesh and dwelt with man. But we don't have a visible picture of him. We want to, even when we see him, uh, you know the in the the statue of David um, by Michelangelo and, and and being held by Mary. Um, when we see the crucifixion, the piata, when we see the crucifixion, um, the depiction of his face, things of that sort, that's an idol. That's a carved image of sorts. And, and here the Lord is declaring very clearly um, in his commandment, you shall not make for yourselves carved image any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or there's a water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. And it's very important to say, serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So we have a divided heart. God created us. The Bible says we've been subject to vanity, but we've been created to worship, so we're either going to worship God and spirit and in truth, or we're going to worship something that we can see, and, and we want something tangible to hold on to, and so we always we always want to return to something that had power, and we we, we deify it and elevate it. Um, Calvary Chapel, the dove, you know, here's a movement that starts in 1967, 10,000% growth, 1,600 churches around the world, and the dove was a symbol, and now you got to have the dove because it's like the in and out sign with the two crossed uh, palm trees, and and that's a symbol of something significant. And I'm going there, uh, and everybody's got a logo and a you know some sort of thing to draw us to it. Uh, and and people say you shouldn't have a cross. Well, the cross is empty, and it's a depiction of the cross. We refer to the cross. That's what the cross looks like. It's not like we worship the cross. We we worship the aspect of what that of of, of who died there and the and the reality that it's empty. Um, but a graven image of sorts. that You don't even have to carve it. I want to read to you... Um, where did I do with it? Yeah, here it is. I want to read to you out of Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, and eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throats. Those who make them are just like them. Or I should say, those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been merciful and mindful of us, and He will bless us, and He will bless the house of Israel. But it says, it describes these idols that that they have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. Ears, but they don't hear noses. And, you know, I've said this before. You go into a Chinese restaurant, you see that big brass Buddha with the belly, and they always put oranges in front of it. I've I've been, I'm 52 years old. I've been to Chinese, I love Chinese food. I've never seen one of those Buddhas eat an orange. But I watched that. I've seen on a number of occasions where they replace the rotten oranges, the moldy oranges, with fresh ones. And and the idol he's he's heavy, and I don't know where he's getting his sustenance. <laughs> and and you see Dagon when when the Ark of the Covenant um, was was destroyed. And they well not destroyed. The Ark of the Covenant was captured, and they went out to battle, and they said, "Well, if we put the Ark in front of us, we're going to win." And they go out there, and they just get whooped, and the Ark is captured and taken away, and and um, and all of a sudden, everybody in the camp breaks out with it was, It's kind of interesting what they call hemorrhoids, which is the the term, hemorrhoids. Some of the scripture some of the scriptures just, uh, define it as is uh, tumors, but it's hemorrhoids. And I, I got a kick out of that. And they were plagued with rats. And and the Philistines didn't know what to do, so they built this cart. and They took two milking cows uh, that that it had given offspring, and they held the calves back, and they tied these mother cows to the cart, the new cart, and they put the Ark of the Covenant on, and they put these golden jewelry that they had designed as an offering of the rats that had plagued them and the emeralds. The... And I'm wondering, the jeweler who had to design that, he's like, okay, let's just get a picture... I'm just saying, uh, and and they they put these on the ark, and they just let it go. and the and the the mother cows were blowing the whole way, and the babies were, and 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 they just kept moving contrary to their to their their nature, and they take the ark back. There's a point too where David wants to restore the ark to its place, and and Uzziah uh the Hittite I think it is, the ark begins to slide off of of the cart that it's on, Uzzah, and he and he goes to put his hand out to stop and he's struck dead. Now he's a Levite and he knows better. This will be carried by acacia poles, you never touch the ark, but but he he tries it and he dies. And and this is the intensity of it. It's like God's still there. He's the and the Ark of the covenant is two, two uh angels and they supposedly their wings are forward, and between the wings of the angels, right there is what's what's called the mercy seat, and that's where the Shekinah glory of God resides in the temple, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, and, and God resides there. And in the Ark of the Covenant uh, are are artifacts where you have the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod and a jar of manna, and and, and there it is. And and so you're thinking this is a significant deal, and it's and it's a, a carved, built image by hand, and it's got to have some significance. And so the Israelites think we're going to win any war because we got God in a box. And God's like, okay, go ahead. And he just, he, I'll let the ark get captured, and you'll get whooped. God doesn't, and we studied this on Sunday. We, we played the flute for you. You didn't dance, remember? We, we did the funeral morn, and you didn't mourn. God, you're supposed to play our game. And God doesn't play our game like he said to Joshua. When Joshua said, are you on our side or their side? He said, no. I'm not interested in, on, on being on your side or their side. The question is, are you on my side? We go by God. We yoke to him. We're, we're aligned with him. We do his bidding. He doesn't do ours. And so what we want to do is we want to find some power in an idol. And so when we try to deviate and do our own plan and find ourselves in disarray where it is affecting our family, we deify it. We deify it. And and we make a, a graven image in a sense. Oh, I'm Italian. I was born that way. That's why I'm angry. I, I drink too much. That's because I'm Irish. You're making up excuses and all you're doing is making a God out of the thing that keeps you from doing God's will. Does that make sense? You tracking me? And so the Lord says you shall make for yourself no carved images of any likeness, anything that is in heaven above, nor in earth beneath, or there's a no water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. That's a picture right there. Bow down and serve them. How do you know you're worshiping something? I'm sorry? Devoting your attention, your time, and your money, treasure. Yeah. Sometimes you can find a graven image in a garage or down at the marina or the airport. No, I'm not I'm not picking on anyone. In, listen, I've I got them too. I'm just saying. But you can, you can find those graven images where you spend your time, treasures, and talents. In a lot of cases, you know, it could be Aphrodite. It could be Asherov. It could be a, a myriad of gods or goddesses. It's whatever occupies your mind. And these are false gods that take you away from doing what God commands you to do. So the very first thing is he says... I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I delivered you. There will be no gods before me. I don't care how you define them. I don't care if you carve them. It's what you spend your time, your treasures, and your talents on. And you abandon me, and we're done. It's not going to be good for you. And I'll tell you right now, you put God aside and put something in its place. Whatever your fleshly issue is, you put that in the place of God and let that rule in your house... He points it out. He says, the iniquity will be visited on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And I was, I, I had this story and I was really moved by it. I found it. A small Missouri town, two preacher boys were playing with a little dog and they found, that they found. It was black with a white tail and they wanted to keep it and they loved him. They heard about a new family who had moved in and how they had lost their dog, which was black, black with a white tail. Their preacher dad didn't want to give the dog back, so he painted the white tail black. And when the neighbors asked whether this could be their dog, he lied and said, no, the tail's the wrong color. The names of the preacher's sons, Frank and Jesse James, the most notorious criminals of their time. And I, and I would just say this, as parents, we don't get what we want, we get what we are. Wisdom's proven by our children, so is Sin. You allow it to be in your house, it visits, and and it's generational. Now, God can break that by his spirit, and we're a new creature in Christ, but the reality is you are poisoning your family, and that goes on and on and on. I learned how to parent from my dad. My dad learned how to parent from his. My my grandfather was a town drunk. And my, my aunt would tell me that, that everybody would laugh at the drunk on the bridge when she was in the church bus going to summer or, uh, vacation Bible school. And all the kids would be laughing, and she'd look on the side of the bus, and that was her dad, drunk on the bridge. My, my grandmother was the town tea leaf reader and the tarot card reader. And, and my dad was the only one in his family who got a college degree and demanded that his children all get college degrees and we did and my dad didn't know the Lord, but he did the best he could. He came to Christ later in life. but I'll tell you what my wife, who at four years of age or five years of age, had to face the anger of her father, her biological father, who was a raging alcoholic, and would yell and scream and and abuse uh d my mother in law and 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 the yelling and, and michelle would find herself hiding in the closet with her sister wondering if they're going to live and then all of a sudden tom comes on the scene and and uh that man leaves and that man loses his two children He just lost them and they got to be raised by another man you lost that privilege i asked michelle one time do you ever want to know your biological i have a dad cut remove let's move on you lose that privilege and that's a new creature in Christ. A family begins, and and then Michelle and I get married, April twenty first, nineteen ninety. And you know, it's it's two gears on on different speeds, and they start to grind. And then we, you know, we're trying to figure out how to dance with each other because the honeymoon, you know, is over, and you know, you wake up, your breath stinks. I I never knew that. <laughs> you know. but 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 all of a sudden, we get to a conflict. And I'd raise my voice because we yell in our family. And you know what happened to Michelle? Just shrunk, and she wouldn't even talk anymore. Because to have any conversation would elevate my voice and frighten her, and we just she just it's it's better I don't even say anything. And that's not functional. That's visited. And it was the Lord that had to convict me of that, and it was it was tough. Because you have to look at yourself introspectively and say, God, is, what, is there any evil way in me? Because you've called me to love her. She's, she's your daughter. These are your kids. And, and to learn that lesson and to be submitted to it. But I could have easily said, no, 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 no. I'm Scotch-Irish. We yell. That's just who I am. No, that's a cop-out and a compromise and an idol so as not to honor and obey God. And that's visited generations down the line. And again, you, you get to this place where as parents, you don't get what you want. You get what you are. Just look at your kids. Have you affected them positively or negatively? And and that's what God's calling us to. And God gave these commandments to us. And, and the, the, the most important thing he said to us is that we're to have him first. And there's no idols in the house. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Judges, chapter 17. Book of Judges, chapter 17. Now, there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah, not according to the book of Micah. That was a cool dude. This guy's not a cool dude. The book of Micah, my son-in-law is named after the book of Micah. He's not named after this idiot. Now, there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you, on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ears, here is the silver with me. I took it. So he stole the money, and we can go through that whole story, but he basically stole the money, and his mother says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my son. And listen to all the Christianese. Isn't this cool? I mean, you're raising a home where you got the Christian music playing in the background, and you've got the Bible verses on the wall. Right. You've got the potpourri in the bathroom with the really cool little scriptures and the Bibles on the table. And you got little devotions you do in the morning. And that's sweet. And I don't, I don't mind. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying they got that too. But let's see what they're missing. Let's see what they're missing. His mother said, may may you be blessed by the Lord, my son. And so when he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make the carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. Thus, he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took the 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith, and he made it into a carved image and a molded image, and they were in the house of Micah. Are there any Christian homes that have any idols? Um have you have you heard of this um uh, movie The American Gods on Stars? I don't know if it's taken off yet but you know as Christians we invest more of our time and money and attention on other things than Christ and and we are creating a new god for ourselves to worship and this this movie's interesting it uh It's called American Gods. Let me read it to you. The upcoming Star Series, which is based on a novel of the same name, has already been making headlines as one of the most anticipated new shows of 2017. The story revolves around a recently paroled ex-con who discovers that not only do the gods of ancient mythology exist, but many of them have been trapped in America for the last century. The crux of American Gods, based on the Neil Gaiman's novel, is that ancient mythological figures from around the world like Loki and Aphrodite and on and on, have arrived on our shore century ago through the worship of immigrants, but have remained in America long afterwards. With few believers left, they're having trouble gleaning power and thereby surviving. And from a country that's instead so focused on ideas like celebrity technology and consumerism that a whole new host of American gods have manifested from those obsessions. One prime example of this modern worship is the new goddess Media, who represents the American fascination with television and Hollywood. In one of the novel's more telling moments, Media boasts about how humans have made, their power, made her powerful by sacrificing their time on her electronic altar. After all, people design entire rooms around their TV and they ignore friends and family to catch up on their, their favorite shows. Just think of the idols we look at every day. How could this not be defined as worship? The exchange is a rather sobering moment for Christians, especially if you're, you know, you got an iPhone. Oh, I love the. Yeah. We've got idols. We've got idols. And in this case, Micah had idols. So he makes this shrine with these two idols. And look at verse 5. The man Micah had a shrine made an ephod. So he starts to turn it into a little church service and household items, and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. In those days there was no king of Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, and he was a Levite and was staying there. And the man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. Then he came to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and as he journeyed, Micah said to him, where do you come from? He said to him, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem and Judah, and I'm on my way to find a place to stay. Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you 10 shekels of silver per day, a suit of clothes, and your sustenance. So the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with a man, and the young man became like one of his sons. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house with Micah. And then Micah said, now I know that the Lord God will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. But what's missing God, he's, he's got idols. I, look, I'm glad you're at church. I'm glad you're here. But what rules your life? What, what can what can What is visited to your children? You don't get the kid you want. You get the kid, you get who, what you are. Who are you? And, and I'll tell you who you are. You're whatever you're worshiping. That you're not submitting and putting at the altar to say, God, you are solely my God. And, and everybody's affected by our, our unwillingness to lay this down. And that's a very telling picture in relation to Micah. His, uh, I love this. Micah had shelves full of idols. He was steeped in idolatry. Then he appointed his son to become a priest. He didn't qualify, and it wasn't God's way. It was absolutely confusion. It was confusion spiritually, and they think that they were actually serving God. You think about this. We're, as fathers, we're the priest of the home. That's sad. I've seen times where I'm like, that's too bad I have this mantle because I am I am screwing up everyone who's in my charge. And then God takes a hold of me and those idols go out the door. And then he restores it and he's faithful. But we're priests of the home. The Bible says that as fathers. Uh, this author says, in Micah's family, or he, no, he said, in in this family of Micah, there was coveting, stealing, cursing, dishonoring of parents, adultery, anger, malice, wrath. God knows what else. They are morally bankrupt. But if you would have gone to them and confronted them all about this, they would say, what? That's your opinion. I'm a good person. I got religion. Look here, I go to church. And yet, this is a story in the Scriptures where the Lord lays it out. And we see this picture all throughout Scripture. And you you see that, that God is calling us to have a relationship with him. And that means that there can be no other gods before him. Now, the reason why I began tonight by looking at <clears throat> um, Hebrews 4:12 and John 1 is because you have no picture in your mind of who Jesus is. But he clearly depicts for us that Jesus is the word, right? So what are we allowed to have as a central theme in every church service and still obey this commandment? The Word, right? Study to show yourself approved unto God, a work that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. You'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. Free to worship God, worship Him in spirit and in truth. We learn all these things from the Word. The Word is true. And as we saw in Hebrews 4 12, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. it's living, it's powerful. It divides the thoughts and the intents of the of the of the heart. It's a discerner of the intents of the heart. This is something that that transforms our lives and and God says that the word is absolutely paramount. Now the reason why I say it is because in America we are biblically illiterate. We went through the New England primer. I asked you those questions. you remember last week? Anyone remember the questions last week? And a lot of you are like, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that one either. That was kindergarten. That was grammar school. Most of them were fifth grade and below. I don't know that. How? How? how and Don't answer this, please. Just in the quietness of your own heart. How often do you read your Bible? Because this is, this is the living, this is God getting preeminence in your life and in your mind. You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. And people go, ah, the Bible's boring. <clears throat> I want to go back to that idol in my living room. <sighs> what are you, are, you, are you worshiping? No, no, I'm reading my, my Bible. And if it's me or Natasha, we're not reading, but we're playing bingo. But seriously, how much time do we spend in the Word of God? This is the presence of God in our life. Our, our, our life is strengthened. Our faith is increased by God's Word being there. Another one is, prayer you don't need an image to pray to close your eyes and talk to god pray the scriptures i've always said that my devotion time begins with reading the word first god highlights his word to my heart i say a simple prayer you know god give me some insights give me wisdom show me what you desire and and then i begin to read and as i read he highlights verses i, I note them i write them down on my pad and then when i go to my prayer list it's it's inevitable that the the things that have been highlighted are critical to the people I'm praying for, and it, and and I own those verses now that I've prayed them in, and it's it's living. I'm watching it before my very eyes. I'm blown away by it, absolutely stunned by it. And and this is the power of the Word of God. But the question is, how much time do we spend praying and reading? Is is this what we worship? Do we spend our time, the the bulk of our time and our treasures and our talents, doing it? As I talked to you earlier about the Geneva Bible and the Puritans and the amount of time they spent in the Word and how biblically literate our culture was, and I can go through all the vernacular and the things of that culture that, you know, you can't change the spots of a leopard. That, those are all scriptural little comments, everything in there. A widow's mite, you know, and, and, and we can go on and on and on about all the vernacular that was in the English language based on their biblical literacy and how it saturated every portion of their life. And so if they're confronted with sin, the they, scripture comes to the forefront. But, but now we've moved away from, from God being the center theme of our life and His Word speaking to us to now being drawn by gods and goddesses. So Eros, which is this God of self-fulfillment, and it's all about me, and we just trash our families, and we indulge ourselves, and on and on and on, we lose it. And so what happens to a culture, and I want to go through this. Let, let's, let me show you the slide real quick. Can you pull, pull up the first slide? So, in um, in 1962, Engels versus Vital, uh, there was a court case that removed prayer from school in 1962. So, prayer was was removed from school in 1962, and and look what happened to the SAT scores in America. You have math and verbal, and they dropped. They went up a little bit because they recalibrated the test. You don't know recalibrate means they made it easier. They made it easier. Now, there's one segment of schools um, that, that never changed. Let me, uh, I want to find this. This is a really cool, here it is. In, um, in 1965, there were only a thousand Christian schools in America. Today, there's uh, 32,000 Christian schools in America because we removed prayer from school, SAT scores drop. I'm going to share with you some other, uh, some other statistics as well. But of the Christian schools, this is public schools, of the Christian schools, they remain the same as 1962. Okay, I thought you guys would be impressed. When prayer was removed from schools, um, for 15 years before 1963, pregnancies in girls ages 15 to 19 had been no more than 15 per 1,000. And after 1963, pregnancies increased 187%. Teen pregnancies and that age group. For younger girls ages 10 to 14, Pregnancies are up. Before 1963, sexually transmitted diseases among students were 400 per 100,000. Since 1963, they're up 226% that's pretty crazy ready for this one? Oh, and and, we, and most of those you have you have uh, um, bacterial viral and parasite you know crabs but but most of those were bacterial and parasite venereal diseases in our generation they're all now viral you know it's the gift that keeps on giving it's this collect them all like trading cards Before 1963, before prayer was removed from schools, the divorce rate had been declining for 15 years. After 1963, divorce increased 300% each year for the next 15 years. How many people, and we we can raise our hands tonight, how many people have been affected by divorce? Would you raise your hand? Wow. How about the power of prayer on that one? Since 1963, unmarried people living together is up 353%. Since 1963, single-parent families are up 140%. Since 1963, single-parent families with children are up 160%. Education, I went through this earlier when we looked at this, Um, so we don't have to cover that. But let me... um, Since 1963, violent crime in America has increased 544%. The nation has been deprived of an estimated 300 million citizens through legal abortion. Every social barometer is affected by the absence of prayer. Every social barometer. And and everybody has been affected by it. And so I want to come back to the text Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Stop and meditate on that. Did you hear that? There's nothing else you worship that you spend your time, treasures, and talents on other than God. And everything you do, it's in the forefront of your mind. It saturates every decision you make in the way you raise your family. He gives it he gives the second commandment to drill at home he says you shall make not make for yourselves a carved image any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous god visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and what keep my commandments He's jealous. He's jealous. You're not going to get away with it. He's speaking of, and and this is the idea. When it's all about us, Eros, um, Eros is selfish. And I've said it before, objects only. It's only... uh, So it's selfish and it's only intended for objects. And the the Greeks also say it's a love that a a newborn baby has for its mother. And and this is the most prevalent form of love in our culture. When Jesus says greater agape, greater love as no man than this and lay down his life for a friend, he's speaking of, of a selfless love only intended for human beings. And it's the love that the mother has for the baby. It's completely selfless. And then phileo, where you see in John 21, the interaction with Jesus and Peter, where he says, do you agape me? He says, Lord, I phileo you. Do you phileo me, Lord? You know I, and what he's, and phileo, real quick, is mutual love. And it's only for people. And I've shared this too, A plus A equals phileo. Agape plus agape equals phileo. Jesus says, having the same mind, having the same love, being of like mind, let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. We have become one. We're relational. I don't go home every night because I wear a wedding ring or I said some words in front of an altar. I love my wife. Relational. Why do I do the will of God? He says, I no longer call you servants but friends because we are unified in this mutual phileo love where the two have become one. One. And we walk in, in, in unity. I've said this before. You can be in a crowded room on Michelle's birthday, and she's opening up gifts. And I can tell by the movement of her eye, and none of you would have a clue whether she loves it or hates it. Because we, we're, we're one. And, and this happens when you lay your life down. Agape is greater agape, greater love. as no man than this to lay down his life for a friend. You put all your garbage aside and submit to God. Not that we love God, but he first loved us. He lays his life down. We respond by laying our life down. You don't lay it down and you say, well, I'm, I'm Italian. I'm Irish. You're an idiot. <laughs> and in the absence of laying your life down in response to what Christ has done, you are visiting this on generations to come. And, it, and it's going to have its effect downstream. Because we've been called to be change agents. We are salt and light, penetrate and illuminate. And and we don't get the kids we want. We get the kids who we are. And it's funny to see my kids do what I do. And that's, that's the reality of it. But when you lay your life down and become of like mind, that is that mutual love. This is the highest form of love a human being can experience. The highest form of love a human being can give is agape. You lay your life down. And, and the Greeks always said that this is a selfish love, eros is, but it's the most prolific form of love. It's self-love. Everything I do, I do because it's about me. And that's what the idols are. You put an idol up because you want to satisfy you. As you've, you've neglected your family. You've neglected your community. You've neglected your church. You've neglected your testimony. And certainly you've neglected God because you want it. And it's all about you. And it's selfish. And I want to give you a picture of who you are. When the, when, when the Greeks pointed out that it's only objects, you can only love objects this way. And, and one of the words we get from eros is erotic. And so what we do is we create not a love for people, but we turn people into objects for self-pleasure and we objectify women. We want them to dress a certain way and act a certain way and it's all about me. And That's why pornography is an idol. And and, and this is what happens. And yet even the Greeks said that a, a newborn baby loves its mother this way and you go, well, the, the, the mom's not an object. Well, to the baby it is. Uh, every one of the kids, you just, when they're, when they're babies, they, they had, they didn't give a flip about Michelle and it'd be two o'clock in the morning and they would cry and, and, and they didn't care what she's been through. They want what they want and they want it now. And, and, you know, the baby doesn't look at Michelle as a, as a human being, but as an object for its survival. It's the milk wagon. And so you can love another human being with this love, but you have to reduce them from being created in the image of God to being an object. And, and this, is, this is where it breaks down, because God intended us for relationship, and if our mind is set on ourselves, and, and, and we go first and God is second, then this is what we create. And this type of love destroys families. It destroys families. I, you're, you're a notch in the belt. You're you're a, a conquest. Uh, you're an image. You're whatever. And you don't care. And, and, and the remedy for it that God says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments. Hang all the law of the prophets. This is how you avoid failing the second commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You couldn't make it more clear. Because by sin nature, we absolutely, to the detriment of everyone around us, love ourselves. We we love ourselves. And because we love ourselves, forget everyone else. And so Jesus says on these two commandments, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments, hang all the law of the prophets. And yet we love ourselves. And Jesus says, the way you love yourself, love your neighbor. What do you mean? You, you focus on yourself. You're concerned with yourself. Now it's about others. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for the many. And and how do you serve? You die, and let Jesus live, and let Him be God. Lay your life down. Greater love has no man than this, and to lay down his life for a friend. And this is how you avoid idol worship, because you're dead. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live; it's Christ who lives in me, to will and to do of His good pleasure. What does that mean, die? It means you know when you want to be first, and you want to self-indulge, and you, and you, you want to abuse somebody, and you know where you are in that. And the Word of God is that, that barometer, and it's that directive, and it speaks to you in those moments where God says, lay your life down. This isn't about you. It's not about you. And you surrender, and the Lord is glorified. And you have to allow the word of God to penetrate your heart. You have to submit to it. It divides the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's not what you're saying. It's what you're doing. God's telling you. And you can turn up the music and indulge yourself and silence his voice and worship and be just like Micah and have the priest and go to church and do everything. But you are not at the altar of God. You're self-consumed and self-focused. And so the byproduct is lay your life down. And in laying your life down, you come to this mutual understanding where you walk in unity with your God and with your family and with your neighbor. If this is right, this is right. Does that make sense? You get it? I think we go a long way in America if we, if we quit, if we would just simply stop deifying that which separates us from God. Wouldn't it be a wonderful day to return the Word of God into schools and prayer? But let me tell you why it's not happening. Because the Word of God isn't in our homes or our private life, and neither is prayer. Prayer changes the world. So does reading the Word. If we're aligned, we transform the the place we live and the families that we are a part of. We become other-centered, And we start to serve, and we transform the world. But the worst kind of Christians are the Micahs of the world, not my son-in-law. The Micahs of Judges 17. All the trappings, and you are so caustic and destructive. Unbelievably painful to the testimony. And the world is adversely affected for generations to come. And all we have to do is look up there. And you want to know why prayer was removed from school? Anyone ever heard Madeline Murray O'Hare? You know her story? I met her son. Her son is is a born-again believer that is so burdened by what his mother did that he carries it. Even though he's given his heart to the Lord, he carries that shame. And he even admits to it. I just see what it did to the nation. And I told him one day, I don't know if it had any effect, I go, your mom didn't do that. The Micahs of the church did it. You're trying to make a difference. You're raising your family right. That curse has ended. But it's, it's the posers that aren't surrendered and are indulgent in all those things that are the antithesis of what God wants. And so the commandments are just as vital today as they were when they were written. The beauty of it is these were given to the Israelites. They're given to us and Jesus has fulfilled it. And by his spirit, they're not burdensome. He gives us the power to accomplish it. If all we do is just say, Lord, I surrender my life. I'll close with this last thought. I've said it before, but I'll close with this last thought that when Jesus says, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself. Um. It, it, we, we always somehow try to inject eros into it. And so we look at that commandment, and we're so self-focused, and we go, you know, I can't love others until I learn how to love myself. You, you couldn't add a commandment more powerful to negate the first two that Jesus gave than that one because you just put yourself right back on the altar it's me worship me i have to, i have to love myself first and you just there's your image just look in the mirror i and and people like me right oh they don't know what they're talking about oh, who are they to tell me you know what i'm stupid people Turmoil, tension, misery. You don't need to learn how to love yourself. Nobody in the room, and, and I again, the, the people people have said to me in the past when I've said said that statement, Pastor, I I disagree with you. Okay, why? Because because I don't love me. I hate me. I hate the way I look. I hate I hate I hate who I am. I go, no, no, I don't believe you. What do you mean? Well, if you really hate it, yourself you'd be happy you were ugly. True? What are they seeking? Oh, you're not ugly. You're beautiful. You're handsome. Oh, do you think so? Just pour that in the vein. Oh, that's good. Yeah? We do anything we can to get attention. Seriously, if you hated yourself, you'd be happy you were ugly. Nobody's with me on that, I guess. God God wants us to yield and submit to Him. And the idea of graven images and idols is anything you're worshiping above God that takes precedent. And the only way you know that is to have the Word, and the Word is God. Spend time in it. He should be preeminent in your life. He should be the first in in your morning and and throughout your day and into the evening. And Michelle will say this to me, and, and it was recent when we were both going through the ringer and lots of stuff happening. It was crazy. And she just she just says, I, I don't feel connected to you. Like, I don't feel connected to you either. Because we're busy working, getting stuff done, but we're not in concentric circles. And when you just look and go, you're busy and I'm busy and we're busy doing other things, and we're busy together being busy. And and it it would I'm sorry, and that's the Lord. Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. You, you wake up and you immediately grab your phone and you go on your life. You go to your work. You go to your whatever. You go to your spreadsheet. You go. I don't know what you do. But it's certainly it's not the Lord, and you just immediately go, okay, I'm up, I'm stepping on the altar, I'm here. <laughs> Look at me, everybody. And you go on with your life. And oh man, you don't understand what kind of a day I've had. Right there on the throne, I. The last time I checked, the scripture says, I, Rob McCoy, have been crucified with Christ. Well, you know what? The reason why I'm tired. <coughs> oh, there we go again. You're still living. Hi. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> You people make my life difficult. Oh, there we go again. Would you be that irritated if you were dead? You just step aside, let the Lord in. All things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, and no trials face you, no temptations face you, but that was coming to man when you're being tired, you get way out, and, and God uses this, and and Lord, there's a reason in all this, and I'm and I count it all joy, can you know, and wow. That's a different perspective. I didn't go the way I wanted. I'm so upset, and I kicked the dog. And wait well, I'm on the throne, and and the the commandment is negated, and the community is affected generations down. And the little eyes are looking at you as you're barking at everybody, smacking and slapping and spitting and cursing and just just leaving toxin all the way through. And then you check out and go home. And you just leave a mess. Because it's all about you. And God says, no. No, make no other God for yourself. You'll have no other God before me. Not even yourself. And that's the biggest God of all.